Welcome, and thanks for listening to the New Life Christian Ministries podcast. If you'd like more information about New Life or for more podcasts and other media, go to newlifexn.org. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for this day of life you've given us. We thank you for the opportunity to know your son Jesus as Savior and Lord. And today, I pray that your Holy Spirit would be poured into us, God, that we might receive your message from your word and that we might use it to glorify you and to live in a way that will bring honor uh, to your name. This we ask through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Good morning. Welcome to New Life. I'm Pastor Chris, the lead pastor here. If you're here for the first time, we're really glad that you're with us. Uh, We're finishing up a series. Actually, these next three weeks, we're going to be finishing up a series called Sit, Walk, Stand. As you saw, more than going through the motions. What we've been doing is working our way through the letter to the Apostle Paul's letter to the Ephesians. There was a place called Ephesus, a city. And there was a church that Paul established there. And so after he left, he wrote a letter of instruction to them. And six chapters along the way, uh, we find it in our Bibles. And so we're in the end of chapter 5 today. And we're going to be talking about one of the most important things that God ever created. And that's marriage. As we look at Ephesians 5, 21 to 33, we're going to get the Apostle Paul's instruction regarding this most important of all human relationships. Now, I don't know if you've ever considered that marriage is the most important of all human relationships or that you've seen it as one of the most important things God ever uh, created. But if you turn in the Bible to the book of Genesis, the first chapter, which talks about the beginning of everything, God created the heavens and the earth or the universe, and then it talks about how God created uh, the, the animals, and then God created humanity, the man and the woman, and told them to be fruitful and multiply and subdue the earth and have dominion over it. And as you read in chapter 1 of Genesis, it's sort of a big picture overview of creation. And after God creates everything, he says, it is good, it is good, it is good, it is good. And at the last, he says, it's very good. But then in chapter 2, if you turn to chapter 2 of Genesis, it gives you more of an up-close and personal view. And God actually sort of takes some some dirt and and, and, uh, forms a man and blows the breath of life into it. And it says that the man became a life-bearing soul. And, uh, and as we read Genesis 2, what happens is we, we read something that really stands out. It's in verse 18, the first half. That's why it's called verse 18a. It says this, God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. The reason that stands out is everything was good. Everything was perfect. Everything was ideal in this creation as God had made it. But as he looked around, he said, something's not good. What's not good is that the man is alone. And the truth is the man was not alone. Because God was with him. I mean, think about it. The God of the universe is with you. You're not alone. But what, what he was meaning was the man had nobody like him. After God created all the animals, you know, imagine you're the only man on the planet. And, and there's all these animals. And there's a, a male cheetah and a female cheetah. And there's a male elephant and a female elephant. And, and every, every animal has its counterpart. And, and then you look to the left and you look to the right. <laughs> there's nothing like you. And so God says it's not good to be al- that the man's alone. And then he says this, I will make a helper who is just right for him. And when I read that statement, I will make a helper just right for him, I think of sort of like somebody, you know, who will be there to hand me my wrench when I'm working on the car, right? So, somebody who will hand me my favorite cold beverage when I'm watching the pirate game or the Steeler game. But that's not at all what God is talking about. What God is talking about, according to the original Hebrew, is someone who would complete the man, who would perfect him, and somebody who would be there as a complement to fulfill his life. And so what God did 
is he put the man to sleep, and he took out a rib, and he fashioned this woman from the man. And when the man woke up, he said, at last, at last, this is bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. She will be called woman because she was taken out of man. Now, there's no sense of subordination here. This, is, uh, this guy is, is excited. He's enthusiastic because now there's somebody like him, but, but not like him. So somebody who's like him, but different. And that's, uh, that's the way God established it in the order of creation. In fact, what God says after this is, this explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. So in the order of creation, what God established is that a man and woman would leave their family of origin. They would come together and form a new family. They would become one. And in that relationship, society was to start because if, they, if the human beings were going to be fruitful and multiply and subdue the whole earth, there had to be a whole bunch of human beings. And so that was the, the way that the family was started and there would be children and then they would grow up. Same thing, process over and over and over again. But of course we know that it didn't work out that way. It didn't work out that way because the first man and woman rejected God's leadership in their lives. And so they sinned. That's what we call it. They fell. In, in chapter 3 of Genesis, we read about how Adam and Eve rejected God's leadership in their lives, lordship in their lives, and they sinned. And so marriage wasn't what it was intended to be anymore. In fact, it became a shell of what it was supposed to be. Eventually, there, became, uh, there were divorces. Eventually, men and women were isolated and separated. And men became lazy in their marriages and, and sort of sat back and, and didn't take responsibility to lead. And women didn't want their husbands to lead anyway. And that's the way it was for, for thousands of years. But you know the interesting thing? In the thousand years, thousands of years of human history, until this very generation... There has never been a rejection of the reality that marriage, as instituted by God between a man and a woman, is holy and sanctified by God. But, but only in this modern generation in the United States of America has that changed. And, and when Jesus came on the scene, what Jesus did was to underline that what God had said in Genesis 1 and 2 was still true 2,000 years ago. It was still true. Because Jesus came to do what? He came to redeem us. If you've been here all summer, you know that in Ephesians 1, we were told that Jesus came to the earth, the Son of the living God, as a human being, to live a perfect life so he could die on the cross and he could restore us or redeem us, free us from sin, from the brokenness that we've all experienced, and give us new lives. And when Jesus was on the earth back in the first century... Um, what happened in Israel was marriage had degenerated to the point that women didn't even want to get married. Because frankly, it w there was no security in marriage whatsoever. And it was a culture that was male-dominated, of course. But a, a Jewish man could just sort of say, hey, you burned the toast this morning. I'm divorcing you. And that's the way it was. And so the religious leaders didn't like Jesus very much. He was a radical, they say, they thought. And, and he was teaching some ideas that they didn't like, and they didn't seem to think, they didn't seem to think that he observed the law the way it was supposed to be observed. And so they wanted to trick him, so they asked him a question about marriage. And here's what happened it says this uh, as we look in Matthew chapter 19. Some Pharisees came and tried to trap him, that is, Jesus, with this question Should a man be allowed to divorce his wife for just any reason? Haven't you read the scriptures, Jesus replied? They record that from the beginning, God made them male and female. And he said, this explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. Since they are no longer two, but 
one, let no one split apart what God has joined together. So you see, Jesus reaffirmed the original intent of marriage, and actually he even made it stronger, didn't he? Because he said, since they are no longer two but one, let no one split apart what God has joined together. It's, it's laughable when people in our day who have read the Bible say, well, Jesus never said anything about marriage or about homosexual practice in marriage. Because Jesus reaffirmed the original intent of God, which makes sense since he's God. And, and, and as we look around, even 2,000 years ago, Jesus gave this answer and the religious leaders said to him, well, then why is there divorce? And Jesus said, it's not God's original intention, obviously, but this was allowed because of human hardness of heart. He said that divorce was a concession to our sin. But God never intended for there to be divorce. And I share this not to make any who have gone through the pain of divorce feel worse or to condemn those who have twisted marriage into an arrangement of convenience or even relabeled it to include some uh, same gender partners. I share it simply for this reason, to remind us that we don't get to decide what's important in life or to redefine categories that God defined in the fabric of creation. I share it to remind us that sin has distorted and twisted and derailed God's best intentions throughout human history, but sin cannot overcome God's best intentions. If we call ourselves children of God, and Pastor Mark reminded us last week when he covered the first half of Genesis or Ephesians 5, I'm sorry, Ephesians 5, that we are called children of God because of what Jesus did for us in dying on the cross. And when we have a relationship with Him, God becomes our heavenly Father and we have this relationship as His children. And we don't get to say what our will is. We are to reflect the will of our Father in heaven. And He has established His will in marriage between a man and woman forever for the welfare and benefit of all humanity. So as we're going to see today... In Ephesians chapter 5, verses 21 to 33, Paul adds his comments about the importance of marriage and the meaning and significance of it. I've titled the message, Love and Respect, because love and respect are the key to an enjoyable and lasting marriage. Marriages are supposed to be lasting, so we would want them to be enjoyable, right? And the key is love and respect, and that's going to be our take-home point for today. If you're new here, every week we seek to make just one point. And the point this week is that love and respect are the key to enjoyable, lasting marriages. There are many important aspects to marriage. There are probably hundreds of important aspects to a lasting and enjoyable marriage. But the key is that we love and respect each other in marriage. I would like to take a moment right now to say if you're not married because you're too young to be married or because you just don't want to get married, or because you want to be married, but you haven't found the right person yet. Or maybe you were married and, and, and your spouse is no longer with you, either because of divorce or death. That Jesus and Paul understood that not everybody would be married. In fact, Jesus and Paul said that sometimes people make a commitment to serve God so, that's so radical that they devote themselves fully to that and so they never get married. And Jesus recognized that sometimes we want to be married, but there are circumstances beyond our control that prohibit that from happening. So let's turn to the Apostle Paul's instruction regarding marriage. It starts in Ephesians 5, 21 to 33. If you have your study guide with you, it's on pages 34 and 35. Paul says this, And further, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Submission is not a popular word in our culture. 
As it's used in Ephesians 5.21, it means to voluntarily put oneself under the authority of somebody else. And we don't really like to be under the authority of anybody else. But what Paul says is that as followers of Jesus, we are to voluntarily put ourselves under the, the authority of somebody else. And in our marriages, that's true. Paul is about to say that women are supposed to submit to their husbands. He's going to have a couple of verses about that, actually. But we're supposed to, as husbands at times, to submit to the authority of our wives. In my marriage, for example, I submit to my wife, Nancy, when it comes to the checkbook. I, I really only touch the checkbook to write down what I wrote a check for and the amount. I am not allowed to add or subtract in our checkbook. And there's a very good reason for that. I'm creative with adding and subtracting in the checkbook. Creativity is a good thing, but not so much when it comes to numbers. Nancy's very precise with numbers. You know, when she adds and subtracts, the numbers always are what you'd get if you used a calculator, for example. Um, but not me. I like to, you know, I just like to sort of round it off, whatever. Now, here at New Life, I don't know if you know this, but we have an executive pastor, we have a treasurer, and we have a financial secretary for the very same reason that I have Nancy look at the checkbook. It's because when you all and I give our tithes and offerings, the first thing that we want to have happen is to make sure that it gets counted accurately and then that it gets put into the bank and then that it gets distributed to causes that are going to glorify God and share, you know, grow and live the new life of Jesus Christ with the world one person at a time. In a sense, all of us together submit ourselves to the authority of the executive pastor and the treasurer and the financial secretary when it comes to finances. And I do the same thing when it comes to the checkbook in our marriage. So we are to uh, submit ourselves to one another out of reverence for Christ. And then it says this. For wives, this means submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For a husband is the head of his wife as Christ is the head of the church. He is the savior of his body, the church. As the church submits to Christ, so you wives should submit to your husbands in everything. Now, I have preached on this text many, many times in my many years as a pastor. And not once whenever I preached on this text has a woman ever shouted, Amen! Praise the Lord! Let's just get right to doing that. You see, women do not think, especially when it says, submit to your husband as to the Lord. Really? Yes, really. That's what it actually, it's actually what it says. But before, um, before we get to uh, happy men, we need to look at what it says next. Because a lot of times over the years, I mean, down through the centuries, women have been really, you know, subjugated uh, in this passage because men have forgotten to read the second half of the passage. And here's what it says. It says this. For husbands, this means love your wives just as Christ loved the church. He gave up his life for her to make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of God's word. He did this to present her to himself as a glorious church without a spot or wrinkle or any other blemish. Instead, she will be holy and without fault. So we husbands are supposed to love our wives the same way that Jesus loved the church. Now, how was that? He died on the cross. So we're supposed to love our wives so much that we would be willing, if we need to, to die for her. And so the wife is supposed to submit to a husband who loves her so much that he will die for her. In fact, it goes on to say this. Oh, let me, before I go on. Love, submit, love, submit. Why is it titled love and respect? Because I have love and submit so far, right? Love and submit is what we have so far, but when we get to the very last verse, it's going to say respect, and we're going to change that. Now, we don't see a lot of marriages, frankly, in this culture 
where the husband loves the wife as Jesus loves the church and the wife submits to her husband as to the Lord. And why is that? Well, one of the major reasons is because what our culture has done. Our culture has said that marriage is a 50-50 performance relationship. What do I mean by that? Well, it means that the wife does her 50%, the husband does his 50%, and it all works out great. But here's the problem with a 50-50 performance relationship. How do you know for sure what's 50%? And what happens if I go home this afternoon and get sick, so then I can't take the garbage out tonight, which is one of my tasks on my list, and I can't put the budget together, which while Nancy takes care of the numbers, I put the budget together, and then she re- I can't do that this week. And then also, you know, if there's a noise out in the, in the living room at 2 in the morning, who's going to get up and go see who that is? You see, those are all on my side of the 50%, but if I can't do it, then you know what Nancy's going to say? Well, I always do more than 50% anyway. Right? And that's what every wife, every husband, if I talk to husbands and wives, you know what they say? I do more than 50%. I mean, it's sort of funny because there's only 100%, right? But every husband and every wife says, I do more than 50%. How's that possible? And that's the problem with a 50-50 performance relationship. It brings dissatisfaction. In fact, what happens in that relationship eventually is it brings misery and it brings isolation and ultimately it will bring divorce. Who do you think invented the 50-50 performance relationship? The devil. The devil invented it. You know how I know that? Because the devil is really sneaky. And it sounds, when I said, probably when I said 50-50, you went, whoa, that makes sense. You know, because that adds up to 100. And it does sort of make sense on the surface. And most of the devil's schemes make sense on the surface until you try to live them out. And then they don't work because they weren't designed by God. They were designed by him. So here's what kind of marriage God wants us to have based on this Ephesians 5 passage. It is a 100-100 grace-based relationship. I give 100% of my love to Nancy. She gives 100% of her submission to me. We both give 100% of our love and submission to God. And Jesus gives us 100% of his grace and our marriage thrives. And you say, you do that? No, actually we don't. Because you know why? Because Nancy and I don't have all the spots on our dominoes. And neither do you. None of us are perfect. We're all fallen human beings. And so, but that is the standard that's here. We're to give 100%, 100%. And as we give the best we have in the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives, because as we read back in Ephesians 2, once God comes into our life in Jesus Christ, we receive the infinite power of God. Our marriages grow and thrive. Now, Paul is going to say something else to husbands. He says, in the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as they love their own bodies. For a man who loves his wife actually shows love for himself. No one hates his own body, but feeds and cares for it, just as Christ cares for the church. So what Paul is saying to men to, who are husbands is, we're supposed to love our wives the way we love ourselves, our own bodies. Now, it makes sense. It's a logical statement what Paul is saying because when we come together, according to Genesis 2, the two become one. And Jesus affirmed that and said, what two God has put together, don't let anybody split it up, right? So, so the reality is when I love Nancy, I'm actually loving myself because the two of us have become one. But here's the thing. When Paul wrote those words, I guess it was common that everybody loved themselves. That's not common in our culture. In fact, there is a lot going on in our culture. If you turn on the TV today, I guarantee you somewhere along the way, especially if you're watching a sporting thing, you're going to find out that there's something wrong with you. You need to go to the gym. 
Uh, I mean, your body, you, you know, your, your body's not what it's supposed to be. You need to go work out or, or you need to go on a diet or something because everybody knows there's a certain shape and a certain size that's good and the, and the other one isn't. Everybody knows it's better to be, you know, young and beautiful than old and wise, right? I mean, what, 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 what is it? We're supposed to be something we're not. But the principle that Paul makes here is true. A person who is healthy, who's spiritually healthy, loves himself or loves herself. And what Paul is saying is as husbands, we're supposed to love our wives so much, it's just like we're loving ourselves. And in that kind of situation, the marriage is going to be very healthy, effective, and growing. And now what Paul does is he gives us this big picture of what marriage is all about. He says, and we are members of his body, that is, we're members of the church of Jesus Christ. As the scriptures say, a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. This is a great mystery, but it's an illustration of the way that Christ and the church are one. So Paul reaffirms what God established in Genesis 2 and what Jesus establishes in Matthew 19 and Mark 10, and and he adds something to it. He says, yes, in a marriage, the two are one, the, the man and woman leave their families of origin. They start a new family. But he says, in this relationship, in this Christian marriage, we actually represent a bigger thing. We represent Christ and his relationship to the church, which is his bride. Now, one of the things he says, it's a mystery. And, and, and I sort of jokingly always say, marriage is, has been a mystery to me for 37 years. You know, I mean, there, there's a lot that I don't understand about Nancy because she's a woman and I'm a man. And again, our culture today will tell you there's no difference between men and women, or actually there's all these different things besides men and women. You know, there's 38 different gender classifications in Facebook. But the truth of the matter is, originally there was a man and there was a woman, and they came together, and that's God's plan and intention. And it's mysterious how that works and how it represents the, 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 the relationship between Christ and the church. But Paul says that's the ideal that we glorify God when we live our marriages in this kind of a way. And then finally, Paul sums everything up with this single statement. So again, I say each man must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. You see, he changed the word. It's not submit. It's respect. And that's where we get this title, love and respect. So in marriage, for a marriage to be effective, the husband is supposed to love his wife, as he loves himself, and the wife is supposed to respect her husband. And the key thing here is a lasting, enjoyable marriage comes when the husband shows love to his wife, the wife shows respect to her husband. We all need love. We all need respect. But more than anything, men need respect. More than anything, women need love. And the challenge is it's easy for a man to give respect to anybody, but hard to give love. It's easy for a woman to give Love to a person, hard to give respect. And so that you have this built-in challenge. And there's a couple named Emerson and Sarah Egrich, and they've developed a ministry. It's actually called Love and Respect, and you can go online to loveandrespect.com, and you can buy their marriage conference. It costs $87, and I would encourage you, if you want to have a very, very effective marriage, buy the series. It's, it's incredible. Um, and in that series, I'll give you a sort of little spoiler alert. Here are the three things, three things that they say every marriage goes through, three cycles. The crazy cycle, the energizing cycle, and the rewarded cycle. 
Now, the crazy cycle looks like this. I, as the husband, say, I'm not going to give my wife love because she's not giving me respect. And Nancy, as the wife, says, I'm not going to show Chris respect because he's not giving me love. You see why it's called the crazy cycle? I'm not giving love because I'm not getting respect. She's not giving me respect because she's not getting love. It's, it's a crazy cycle because if you continue in that cycle, you end up isolated, you end up angry, ultimately you end up divorced or at least miserable. You, you certainly are not going to have an enjoyable, happy marriage if you live in that cycle. And, and, and you say, well, why would anybody go in that cycle? Because all of us are, are broken. We're all sinful people. Even after Jesus comes in and we're redeemed and we're renewed, we still have problems. And, and so we, we're there. So the next cycle is the best cycle. It's called the energizing cycle. And in the energizing cycle, Nancy gives me respect, so I give her love. And she gets love, so she gives me more respect. And I give her more love, and she gives me more respect. And, and the marriage is great. Whenever the energizing cycle is going on, you know, the, the bumps in the road that come along and bumps in the road come along. Um, and they don't, you don't feel them so much. It's sort of like when I'm driving down the road, you know, 70 miles an hour, and I hit a little bump, I don't feel it. If I'm going like 10, I really feel it. You know what? And, and the crazy cycle is like 10 and the energizing cycle is like 70. And, and so we want to stay there. So why doesn't everybody stay there? Well, let me give you a little illustration from this past week. Uh, I was on vacation, theoretically, this past week. It didn't turn out that much that way. But one day I was on vacation, which really meant I was staying home to finish my office in the basement, which really meant to start finishing my office basement. Okay, uh, my basement office. Anyway. So uh, I was wiring, and I got the wiring all done, and so then the next thing is put blue board on because we're going to plaster, and uh, I needed to put some on the ceiling, and I didn't have anybody to help me but Nancy. So I said, okay, Nancy, here's the deal. We're going to put a piece of blue board up on the ceiling. Okay, so I'm going to hold it up here. You get the, you get the dr screwdriver, you know, the drill, and, and this, the, the little drywall screw, and you hand it to me. And so well, I have my hands up here. I'm holding this piece, right? Okay, and she's getting the stuff ready. I'm like, okay, hurry up. Okay, hurry up. And so she hands me the thing. But when I hand the thing, the thing falls down, right? So I said, Nancy, get the two-by-four and hold the, screw, the blue board up. And she says, well, where's the two-by-four? I'm like, well, I don't know. Um, and, and, and she said, well, how can I get the two-by-four if you don't know where it is? And I said, it's out, in a, it's out in another room somewhere. You know, now she would have had the two-by-four right there, right? because she's the detail kind of person. And she, so she thought I was wrong because I didn't have the two-by-four right there. So, but I'm holding this thing up here, and I'm like sweating, and I'm starting to go into the crazy cycle, if you know what I'm saying. <laughs> All right? I wasn't feeling like loving her too much, and she wasn't really feeling like respecting me very much either. And so I, I said, Nancy, get the two-by-four. Run! Okay? It was like a little louder than that maybe. But anyway, um, so this is going on. And, and in the middle of that, I say to myself, I'm preaching on love and respect this week. So, guess what I did? I stopped, and I said, Nancy, the two-by-four is out by my desk somewhere. Would you please run? See how much nicer that is? It's, it's loving, you know. It's sort of more loving when you say it that way than when you say it like, ah! Okay, so, so anyway, we got through. The blue board got up on there, you know, and, and, and Carl's sitting there going, you're he's a drywall guy, you know. I mean, it was only this big, too, Carl. It was like this wide and only like eight feet long. So anyway, it got done. But the point is, the crazy cycle is real easy to get to. It doesn't take something big. It takes something little like putting a piece of blue board up on a ceiling. And, and, and all you have to do to get to the crazy cycle, all you have to do is, as a husband, forget to love your wife. And all you have to do as a wife is to forget to respect your husband. That's all you have to do. So how do you get out of the crazy cycle when you get in it? Glad you asked. That's the rewarded cycle. 
The rewarded cycle says this. The rewarded cycle says, even if my wife doesn't show me respect, I'm going to show her love. Even if my, my wife says, even if my husband doesn't love me, I'm going to show him respect. You see why it's called the rewarded cycle? It's because that's not normal. That's not natural. That's supernatural. That's God. So God is the one who originates the rewarded cycle. And there's always a reward from God when we do his will. When I do what God wants me to do in my life, I love my wife even if she doesn't love me or respect me back. If I love my wife, then I'm rewarded by God because he always rewards and blesses obedience. But there's a second reason why it's called the rewarded cycle. The second reason it's called the rewarded cycle is if I haven't been showing my wife love and she hasn't been showing me respect, which means we're in the which cycle? Crazy, yeah, the crazy cycle. Okay, somebody has to stop that. Somebody has to break the crazy cycle so we can get back in the energizing cycle, which is where we want to live. And so one of us has to say, say I'm going to live in the rewarded cycle. So I'm going to show her love even if I don't get any respect. Now, here's the thing. If you have been a husband and you haven't been loving your wife and, and suddenly you say, now I understand what I'm supposed to do. I'm supposed to show her love. And so you show her love for five minutes. If you've been not for the last two years, that's not going to impress her very much. And so it's going to take time. It will take time. It might take months. One guy I knew, literally, he waited two years before his wife got back the respect because he hadn't shown love for a really long decades. And so two years of love, consistent love, consistent love, you know, the rewarded cycle brought their marriage back into the energizing cycle. And here's the thing I have to tell you. You may live in the rewarded cycle by showing your husband respect or showing your wife love and because he or she is so broken, they never respond. And I wish I could tell you that if you just did this, it would all be well. But, but there are two people in every marriage. And, and sometimes, even when we do everything right, we live according to the rewarded cycle, the marriage still ends up broken because the other person in their brokenness isn't able to receive it, isn't able to get back into the energizing cycle. So... This is not a formula that will always work. But this is a formula that if you have a man and a woman who love Jesus and who are committed to doing his will and his purpose and will put it into practice, it will work. It might take a while, but it will work. And, and, and the key is that love and respect are needed by everybody, whether you're married or not. But remember, in marriage, I can tell you this, you know, Nancy went down the other night. I told her every time I do something, I say, I put four outlets in. You want to go see them? She's like, okay. She didn't want to go see them. Wow, you did a really good job of those four outlets. I did, by the way. But when she said, when she said, you did a really good job, I felt respected. I was like, if you come over and see my four outlets and you say you did a really good job, I'll go, I know, my wife told me. <laughs> you see? But if she doesn't tell me, it doesn't matter what you tell me. And if, if I love Nancy, you know, she can go through a lot in life if I'm loving her. And it's the same in every marriage in the room. And what you're saying is, Chris, this is just a dream. No, it isn't a dream. It's a design. You know the difference between a dream and a design? In a dream, you wake up and it wasn't real. But in a design, it is real. And if you implement a design, it, it will work. And because the design is by the designer of the universe who created marriage in the fabric of creation, if we use this design of love and respect, 
it will work. And that's why today's commitment is very simple. It says, I will walk with love and respect in my family and in my life this week. So remember, love and respect everybody. Love and respect everybody because we all need love and respect. And if you're married, if you're a husband, remember your wife needs love more than she needs air. And if you're, if you're a wife, remember that your husband needs respect far more than anything else. And if you will live in that energizing cycle, um, your marriage will be an example to your family and to, to your, your, your neighbors. You know, and, and here's the thing. This was God's plan, that the first couple, Adam and Eve, would, would have children, and then they would grow up, and they would leave their parents, and they would start their own families. And, you know, yeah, they got married to their brothers and sisters. People always ask me that. Where did Cain get his wife? His wife was his sister. Ooh, yuck. No, not yuck, because it was a perfectly uh, fine gene pool in those days, right? And there's nobody else there to get married. Okay, so they were supposed to grow up and get married, and, and, and then they were supposed to have kids, and those kids were supposed to grow up and get married, and they were supposed to populate the earth. But think about this. What if we go out this week, just those of us in this room, and those of us who have been in the four worship gatherings this weekend, and we go out to our, our communities, and we exhibit love and respect with our husbands and wives, and our neighbors see that. And they go, well, what's that about? And, and then their marriage gets changed. And then the next one and the next one. And pretty soon our street, you know, has these loving, respecting marriages. It would be awesome. And, and then next thing you know, our community does, and the next thing our region does, and the next thing our world does. And that's the plan. It starts with you, and it starts with me. And remember this. You cannot force your wife or your husband to move into the rewarded cycle if you're in the crazy cycle. But you can voluntarily go there. That's where the healing of every marriage starts. The healing of every marriage starts when I, as the husband, say, I'm going to love my wife, period. Or as Nancy, as the wife, says, I'm going to respect my husband, period. And then that moves, that rewarded cycle eventually moves us back into that perfect plan of Genesis 1 and 2. And regardless of what we see around us, we can individually and then together and then more and more together, we can be the design that God created into the fabric of the universe. So what I'm going to do right now is ask you, if you are married, would you please stand if you're able and if, uh, if, you, if you're married, and, and even if your, your husband or wife isn't here, if you're married, would you please stand? And those of you who are not married, would you please extend your hand or you may even put your hand on somebody as, they, as we pray? I'm going to pray for all of us today uh, who are married. Heavenly Father, I pray today for every person standing here uh, this morning who is married uh, whether it's a couple, whether it's the husband or the wife, I pray, God, that you would bless them. I pray, God, that you would pour your spirit into each of us, all of us together. God, I pray that we might, as husbands, live our lives with love towards our, our wives in the same way that Jesus loved the church and gave himself up for her. I pray for every wife in this room that every one of them, God, would submit to their husband's leadership as, um, as the church is to submit to Jesus. God, I pray that you would use us to restore the holiness and sanctity of marriage that you designed into the fabric of creation just in our homes and, and in our, on our streets and our communities and ultimately to the ends of the earth, that you may be glorified and that you may be praised. This we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.